0: As you see, here at CCC, we're all about hope. We believe that there is a factual basis for hope. And and my challenge to you, and this is going to be the theme throughout the the message this morning, is, is hope a fraud or not? Is there really a basis for hope in this life or not? What does your worldview say Do you believe in God or not? Where do we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? Your your basic worldview, your understanding. Do you have a foundation for hope? Because we believe there is hope, and it is centered in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? And that, that's why we're here today on this Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're all about hope here, and this is why we do things like the Dollar Club. And In fact, in a couple of weekends from now, the last weekend of, of this month is uh, Impact Weekend and we're going to actually cancel both of our services on that last Sunday of this month and we're going to actually meet here briefly at 9.15 for just a a very brief communion service time and then we're going to send everybody out all across the community and and do all kinds of projects and you've heard us talk about My Habitat Clarkston and and all the different projects that are growing, we're linking up with other churches, other organizations other individuals around the community and it's going to be just an amazing weekend, it's actually turning into more than uh, Impact Weekend, but Impact Week because some of the projects are, are getting kind of large and, and happening various places and various times uh, throughout that week. So I encourage you to uh, sign up for that, by the way. Get on our website, ClarksonCommunity.com. Also have a, a, another website, Impact, uh, ImpactWeekend.org, and, and, and notice all of the different projects going on there and, and want to encourage you to serve the last weekend of this month. So today I want to talk to you about hope. What is hope? Uh, How many of you watched the Wolverines win last night? Wasn't that great? How many of you hope they win Monday night? How many of you hope they don't? Okay, I I think we got a bunch of Wolverine fans here. Uh, Some of us have been following Clarkston High School basketball. Anybody following Clarkston this, this past season, uh, we were hoping that Clarkston would win states, the state championship, again this year, and, and sure enough, they did. And and it's a good feeling when you hope for something, and then it actually comes true, right? You, you're hoping for something, and you're not sure it's going to happen. You're kind of nervous. You're kind of anxious. You're hoping, and then when it actually happens, you're happy, we're going to find out in a moment that when the bible talks about hope it's really a lot stronger than what we tend to use it as a i hope so kind of thing the title of my message today is surprised by hope that's what easter is about this resurrection sunday it's all about being surprised by hope maybe you're here today and you're feeling you're just feeling hopeless maybe you've been disappointed maybe you've been hurt Maybe life has beaten you up and and you're just feeling pretty hopeless this morning. My prayer for you this morning is that Jesus is going to surprise you with some fresh hope today. So let's talk about it. Uh, turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, and by the way, before we jump into the Easter story, I want to pause right now and ask us if we would uh, all pray together uh, for our Honduras mission trip. Early, early tomorrow morning, 13 of us are going to be jumping on a plane from Metro Airport, flying down to Honduras, and ending up in a little village called Borbaton. And you know that we have a sister church there. We're going to be spending this next week there, Monday through Monday. We'll be heading out early tomorrow morning. And we're going to be just working alongside. We're going to be building a widow's house, and we're going to be pouring concrete floor on four homes that currently have dirt floors. We're going to be serving meals, having worship services together, just really serving alongside of our sister church in Borbaton. And a month or so ago, you guys gave over a $7,000 offering to make all of that. Happen. So, again, I want to thank you for your amazing generosity. Hard to believe that $7,000 uh, will, will get you a house <laughs> and, and four uh, concrete floors and a meal and, and all these other things that, that we're going to do. So, so let's, let's just, would you bow your heads with me and, and pray uh, for our trip coming up tomorrow? Heavenly Father, we're so excited uh, to jump on that airplane and, and go tomorrow to Honduras and uh, just to see our sister church again as we go every year, and just the friendships or relationships that have developed there over the years, and 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 not just the projects, not just the money that we give and the projects that we do, as important as all that is, but, but the friendships and the hope and the encouragement uh, that we can give to them. And Lord, I, I know personally from going down there many, many times that, that they give us hope, <laughs> when we see them in in their situations and many times in their poverty and yet the joy and the hope that they have in you and how that inspires us. So Lord, I just pray that you would bless us this week and and help us to to minister to uh, our sister church there in Borbaton. Uh, Father, we pray for Pastor Raphael and Sandra and their family. And we know that their one son, uh, Daniel, uh, they thought he had appendicitis, but they found out that it's a, a, a kidney stone, a, a large kidney stone that he has to pass, and he's taking medicine. And, Lord, we pray for Daniel, that, that this young teenage boy, that you would help him and, uh, and touch him and give him healing and relieve him of his pain. And so, Lord, uh, we're just so excited for tomorrow. And uh, we just ask your grace to be with us on this trip. And all God's people say, amen. I encourage you to be praying for us uh, this, uh, this week as we're in Honduras. By the way, I'll be posting on uh, my own Facebook page uh, some pictures, some photos, and probably others from the team uh, will be doing it on their Facebook pages. So uh, if you want to follow along there, we'll kind of give you updates uh, throughout this week. So today, we're finishing our series in the Gospel of Luke. For the last month or two, we've been working through the Gospel of Luke, and today we're coming really to the climax of the story, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, in some church traditions, on this Sunday, the leader says, Christ is risen, and the rest of the people say, He is risen indeed. So so let's do that, okay? Let's let's celebrate that. I'm I'm going to say, Christ is risen, and I want you to say, He is risen today, okay? He is risen indeed, okay? So here we go. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen risen indeed. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Do you believe that? Do you believe that He is risen indeed? Do you believe that He truly is risen from the dead? And so we're going to talk about what that means for us today. If Christ is truly risen, what does that mean for us today? So let's jump in. Luke chapter 24, let's pick it up in verse 1. Just going to read the first 12 verses. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, this is Sunday, by the way, first day of the week, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. This is Luke's way of saying angels. (laughs) When you look at the other gospels, it's obvious that these were angels. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, "'Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen.'" Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now, if you read on in Luke 24 and look at the rest of the Gospels, you'll learn that over the next 40 days, Jesus appears to over 500 people. He appears to many different people on many different occasions, and it becomes obvious, and you can study this out, that it's not just a matter of hallucinations, it's not just a matter of wishful thinking, it's not just a matter of, of of, you know, some some people mistaken identity, whatever. No, no, it actually happened, and Jesus attaches His appearances to them, and He says, hey, I have died for your sins, I have risen to conquer sin and death, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me now I want you my disciples to go and make disciples of all nations go go into every country go into every nation tell them the good news about how I died for their sins rose again to conquer sin and death and I want you to tell the whole world this and they did They went throughout the entire Roman Empire. Eventually, they went to England and Germany and Africa and India. Just this morning, I had some friends, you know, half of our congregation, by the way, is like in Florida today. You realize that, right? And actually, one of the families, Scott and Laura Tonks, they texted me, said, Happy Easter from Germany. They're over in Germany visiting their their son, Jonathan, and and folks texting me from Florida. And, and, you know, so, so isn't this amazing when you think about this? that people right now today are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ literally all around the world. In every country, people are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ that began from this story right here that we just read. It's really quite incredible when you think about it. Now, here's the question. What's the big deal? Why should this resurrection of Jesus impact our lives today? What difference should it make? You see on your outline, there's a, in in your program there on one of the pages, I I just have a kind of a brief outline uh, talking about six ways that the resurrection changes our lives today. Let me just walk you through these this morning. Six ways the resurrection of Jesus should change your life and my life today. Number one, here's, here's the key. Because of the resurrection, it means our sins are forgiven. It's interesting, in the Gospels, it basically tells the story of Jesus' teaching and His death and His resurrection, and and it kind of just sticks to the historical facts, tells us the story. If you really want to learn what it means, you have to go to, to the rest of the New Testament, and you, you have to, the rest of the New Testament explains what the death and resurrection of Jesus meant. And in, in 1 Corinthians 15, that great resurrection chapter, the Apostle Paul unpacks the meaning of the resurrection. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. You see, the Apostle Paul, very pragmatic, he said, hey, we're going around telling everybody that Jesus is risen indeed, and let me just be honest with you, if He has not risen, then you're still in your sins, your faith is futile, this is all… doesn't mean much. One of his key points is that Jesus' resurrection validates His atoning death on the cross. Think of it. If Jesus had simply died and not resurrected, then… We wouldn't know for sure that his death really meant anything. See, the resurrection is God's stamp of approval and confirmation that his death was meaningful. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. How many of you remember the old movie City Slickers? I know I'm kind of taking you back, what, back into the 90s here, right? The old movie City Slickers starring Billy Crystal. Three middle-aged guys. Leave New York City. They decide to go out west and they they go on this cattle drive. And one night they're out in their tent, out on this cattle drive, way out in the country. And they've been drinking a bit this late night in in their tents. and, And one of them gets really depressed and he begins to cry. And he realizes that his life is a mess. They say, Man, what's wrong? He says, Oh, I've committed adultery. My wife found out, and she's going to leave me. When I go home, my wife will be gone. I may never see my children again. Not only that, but my boss is my wife's father. <laughs> and and he's, I know he's going to fire me. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to be unemployed. I'm going to be alone. I'm at a dead end. I, I'm going to be 40 years old, and man, I've wasted my life. And he's just overwhelmed at that moment, and his friends try to cheer him up, and they say, hey, do you remember when we were kids, and, and we used to play ball, and the ball would get stuck up in the tree? Remember what we used to yell? Do over! Do over! He said, you're right, man, it's a, it's a do over. I really need a do over right now. When I heard him say that in that movie, I thought, man, where's this guy gonna get, whose life is a mess, who's committed adultery and losing his job and all this, how's he gonna get a do-over? Where's he gonna get a fresh start if not from Jesus Christ? You see, Jesus Christ is in the do-over business. That's the whole point of his death and his resurrection. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again to conquer sin and death. You and I can be forgiven of all of our sins, all the ways that we've messed up. God says, I love you, I forgive you, I give you a do-over, a second chance, and a third and a fourth when necessary because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is how it changes our lives. Our sins are forgiven. I ask you, have you asked Jesus for a do-over? Have you asked Jesus into your life? Have you put your trust in his death and his resurrection for you? A second way, not only is our, our sins forgiven, but it also means Jesus is with us now. The resurrection means that Jesus is with us. Now, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands before the crowd, and he says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. You see, Jesus is not just some nice teacher who taught us about love and morality, and now it's just up to us to follow His teachings and try to be good people. No, 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 no. The gospel is this. He died for our sins, and He rose again. He is alive. He is exalted to the right hand of the Father... And He has come back to us through His Holy Spirit. That's what Pentecost is all about. Jesus has come back to us through His Holy Spirit. And He can make His home inside of you and you and you and every single one of us. And He can live His life in us and through us. So you can have Jesus in you and with you every moment of every day. This is what the resurrection means. Have you invited Him? Have you invited Jesus into your heart, into your life? Have you confessed your sins? Have you asked Him for a do-over? Have you invited Him into your life to be with you every moment? You see, Christianity is not really a religion. A religion is just about rituals, rules, regulations. I'm going to try this. No, no, no. It's about a relationship with Jesus, it's about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Do you have this relationship with Jesus? Have you invited him in? This is how the resurrection can change us. A third way the resurrection changes us is that we have a living hope. We have a living hope. First Peter, the apostle Peter, who had witnessed Jesus' resurrection would later write two letters, first and second Peter that are near the end of the New Testament. And he says in his first letters, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth. There's the do-over. He's given us new birth, a new start, a new life, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You see, we have a living hope precisely because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've told you before that our word, English word hope is really too weak because it it's, doesn't really signify what the biblical concept of hope is. For example, I might say, I hope the Wolverines win, the basketball championship tomorrow night. But I'm not sure. Villanova's kind of tough. They're ranked better, but, but I, I'm not sure, but I, I hope. I kind of doubt it, but I hope. And so when we talk about hope like that, what are we really expressing? We're expressing uncertainty, but in, in in Scripture, it's it's completely opposite, especially when it's talking about the resurrection and the future hope that we have because of Jesus Christ. In fact, almost every time you see the word hope in your Bibles, you need to realize that it is not expressing uncertainty or doubt. In fact, it's expressing a confidence and a certainty. Biblical hope is is clinging and claiming the promise that God has given us that because of Jesus' resurrection, you will be resurrected too. And you are putting your hope in that in that promise, and you have a certainty and a knowledge about that rather than a, a doubt and a fear about that. Let me give you an example of what I mean. A gray-haired man stands alone in the center of the auditorium stage He's a distinguished-looking man, sporting a fine wool suit and the trace, a little trace of a mustache. He scans the sunlit room with peel, its peeling paint and frayed draperies, but his gaze lingers on the people. Black and Hispanic men and women uh, fill most of the seats in the auditorium. Many of them don't speak English, but their attention is fixed on this man at the podium. But his speech is not aimed directly at them. He's returned to this place where he once was a student to address 61 sixth graders dressed in blue caps and gowns who are seated in the front rows. That's who he's really talking to. And he says to these kindergarten kids, he says, this is your first graduation It's just the perfect time to dream. Dream of what you want to become, the kind of life you want to build. And believe in that dream. Be prepared to work for it. And remember, your dream is important because it's your dream. It's your future. It's worth working for. He says, you must study. He says, I want you to study hard. You must learn. You must attend junior high school and then high school and then college. He says, you can go to college. You must go to college. And then he says, stay in school. And almost as if by inspiration, he says, I will give each of you a college scholarship. There's silence in the auditorium. A wave of emotion rolls over the crowd. All of the people start jumping up on their feet and and running and cheering and waving. Parents run down and they start talking to their kids because some of them don't understand English. And they say, what did he say? What did he say? And one little kid calls out in Spanish, Mama, he says we have money. We have money for college. And they're hugging each other and laughing. The place was an elementary school in poverty-stricken Despair-plagued Harlem. The speaker was multimillionaire Eugene Lang, who 53 years earlier had graduated from that very school. The date was June 25, 1981. Guess how many of those 61 kindergartners, or sixth graders, excuse me, sixth graders graduated from, from high school? Everyone except one. Every one of those 61 sixth graders graduated from high school except one. Now you have to understand, this was in a neighborhood, a Harlem neighborhood, where 90% of the kids don't graduate. They drop out of school. How is it that almost every one of these 61 kids graduated from high school? Very simple. They had hope. They had hope. They were motivated. They were they, they they were energized because they had hope. They believed they believed in Mr. Lang's promise. Now there was reason to study and to try hard and work hard because they actually had hope for a better life. That's what hope does to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you have already let a lot of hope slip through your fingers. You've become skeptical. You've become cynical. You're almost an expert at doubting and criticizing and picking apart. And what I ask of you today is very simple. It's time for you to decide. It's time for you to to ask yourself, is hope a fraud? Is there really reason for hope. What I want you to see is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and and really to understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you need to understand the whole biblical worldview. The biblical worldview and the resurrection of Jesus Christ give us a foundation for hope. And this biblical worldview and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is true. You can research it. You can study it for yourself. And what I want you to see is everybody has a worldview. What's your worldview? If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what do you believe in? What is your worldview? Do you really believe there is no God, that life is just an accident, we came from nothing, we're going to nothing? And Okay, if that is your worldview, then what is your basis for hope? What is your foundation for dignity and meaning and values and morality if all we are 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 evolved animals here by accident and heading to darkness into the future? What's your basis for hope? You see, it's the Christian worldview that gives you hope. And you can study it. I dare you. You you can study it. There there, is evidence for it. It's not just a... It's not a fraud. It's not just a a shot in the dark. This is why Paul says in Romans 8, listen to this, Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings, stop right there. He says, I consider that our present sufferings, see, the biblical worldview hits head on. Yes, we suffer a lot. We suffer a lot. There's a lot that goes wrong in this life. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation. There's hope. Eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Anybody frustrated? <laughs> we have a lot of frustration in this life, don't we? Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So here we are. We might experience suffering. We had frustration and even groaning. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, We were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You see what Paul is saying? He's saying, yes, life is hard. Yes, we groan. All creation is groaning. We ourselves groan. Yes, there's a lot of frustration. Yes, we suffer. Yes, life can be hard. But there is hope. There is hope. We can be forgiven of our sins. We can have a do over. Jesus Christ is with us every single day. He can strengthen us. He can be with us. We can live confidently, just like those sixth graders did when they trusted Eugene Lang and his promise to them. You see, when you have hope, it changes you, it changes your thinking, it changes your behavior. You say, Greg, I notice in this passage in Romans 8, Paul mentions the redemption of our bodies. What's he talking about? Well, this is the fourth way right here that that resurrection and Easter changes our, our, our lives today. Number four, our bodies will be like His body. Jesus' resurrection body is a guarantee of your and my, our future resurrection We will have new bodies that will be like His body. Philippians 3, just one of many verses that that reference this. He says, Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Wow. Does that excite you? that one day we're going to have resurrection bodies that will be like His glorious body. You say, Greg, what does that mean? Well, he goes into greater detail back in that great resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. He says in verse 42, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So he's saying here that our body are going to be glorious. Not only are they going to be like His body, but our bodies will be glorious. Turn to the person next to you and say, you will have a glorious body. Now, some of you are having way too much fun with that (laughs) because there's some implications there, right? You're going to have a glorious body. And I tell you, the older I get and the more I groan, the more excited I get about having a glorious, resurrected body. I tell you, it'll be like the Incredibles. Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl. You know, that's in our dreams, isn't it? But but Scripture says this is true. We're going to have glorious resurrection bodies that will never grow old, never die, never suffer again. And so what that means is, number six, we can grieve with hope. We can grieve with hope. Yes, we grieve, but we grieve with hope. 1 Thessalonians 4, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, let's be clear what Paul is saying here. Yes, we grieve. We grieve deeply. When you lose a loved one, we, you, you grieve deeply, and that's natural. But we do not have to grieve without hope because we have Jesus' promise. We have a biblical worldview that there's a good God who created us, There's meaning and purpose and direction for this life, and even though this life is messed up and full of sin and suffering, there is Jesus who died for our sins, and he's giving us a do-over, and he rose again to conquer sin and death, and he's coming again one day, and we know that the future is going to be great and awesome and glorious. We're going to have resurrection bodies like his glorious resurrection body, and it gives us hope. It gives us hope. And so even when we suffer, even when we grieve, we can grieve with hope. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm asking you today, you say, Greg, what do you want me to do with this message? I'm asking you today, let the resurrected King resurrect you. Let the resurrected King resurrect you. Maybe, maybe you need a do-over. Maybe you need to let Christ into your life. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness of sins. Maybe you need to stop trying to carry all of this stress all by yourself. Maybe you just need to turn your life over to Him. Maybe, maybe things are going okay for you, and you're saying, hey, you know, life's okay, but, but you need to realize, maybe you need to realize that it, your worldview doesn't really make sense. Because if you say you're, you know, you don't really believe in God, you don't believe in the resurrection, you don't really take this stuff seriously, okay, what do you believe in then? What is your basis for hope? What is your basis for meaning and dignity and value and morals and, and hope? I've told you many times that my own father is not an atheist, and so I've studied atheism quite a bit. and, And one thing you need to realize about atheism is that there's no basis for hope. We've come from nothing, going to nothing, and who knows anything really? And it's a rather despairing kind of worldview. So what do you believe this morning? Do you believe that He is risen indeed come to Christ today fall into his arms let the resurrected king resurrect you father we thank you this morning for sending your son to die for our sins and to rise again to conquer sin and death we thank you that we can live with hope today that death does not have the last word that suffering and pain are not final Lord, resurrect us to hope and healing. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen.